This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus over in Stevens Point joins with us. And of course, all the people at home and online. Let's uh, recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. And again, welcome to all those still at home and to uh, those who are gathering over in Stevens Point. Glad to have you with us. At this time, uh, we're going to take our offering now because of the whole situation. We're not passing buckets and stuff like that. If you do want to give uh, something like check or cash, you can do that on the way out of your campus this morning. And they have places where you can put that in. Although most people are giving online now. Those of you who are watching online can do this. And we encourage all of you on Facebook. I keep repeating this. Uh, if you watch us a lot on Facebook, you really ought to jump over to our website, celebrationchurch.tv. Watch there. It's a better experience, uh, more interactive with a pastor there who you can connect with and pray with. And uh, there's a button there where you can uh, press uh, to give. And you can join in that way. And you should join in, even if those of you all around the country and the world. They consider this their church. You're here every Sunday morning. We're glad that you're part of the fellowship. But you should give just like everybody else. Don't be a slacker, all right? Uh, those of you who are on Facebook uh, or like to give uh, with your phones, uh, you can do that right now. Pick up your phone and send a text message. You're going to send it to this number, 77977. That's the number you're going to text to, 77977. And then in the message bar, type in CCWI, stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin, and then the amount that you want to give. And boom, it'll happen automatically. So those of you who want to sit there right now and do that, that would be great. And continue. And I just want to say how much, uh, how grateful I am to the church for being so faithful during this time, and uh, how uh, the finances have stayed very solid through all of this. And we're very, very grateful. I hear about churches that are struggling terribly. That has not been our situation. And for this, I am very grateful. So thank you for that. Um, we are in a situation where we, we're very blessed here in where we live in Wisconsin. We're one of the few places in the country where people actually have choice. <laughs> 
And uh, if you want to gather, you can gather. And there's hundreds who are here gathering, about 400 or so. Uh, and that's great. Most of the people, probably 1,500 or so, we see the numbers, uh, are at home. And that's fine. It's your choice. You can say whatever you're comfortable with. Some are here with masks. Some are not with masks. Uh, it's your choice. You can do whatever you want. And it's fine. We're totally good with that. If you've been watching our musicians, you see half of them have masks, half do not. Uh, it's fine. No judgments. And it's great. Whatever you're comfortable with. We know we're living in a crazy time. Uh, I know the uh, mayor of Green Bay and the council put an edict out that everyone in the city has to wear a mask, but places of worship are exempt. Uh, I hear Brown County is, yeah. I have a funny feeling he didn't want that exception, but what do I know? Anyway, they pushed it through. God bless them. Uh, and now Brown County's wanted to jump in on it. Uh, so what happens if they come up with that? Well, we'll see what happens. We'll take it one day at a time. I do know that when you're sitting in a restaurant and you're eating, you don't have to wear a mask. My take is that we're here, we're seated, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper, so you won't have to take a mask in here. So that. We'll see how that goes over. Uh, uh, I read just uh, this morning John Maxwell, who is a major evangelical voice in this country. Many of you know who he is, writes many books, big church in California, has announced that he is now rebelling against the governor of California and opening his churches. So something new to fight about. We'll see how that goes. As if there isn't enough tension. Uh, God bless him. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I don't think this is over yet. Uh, we live in a very troubling time. And it is what it is. His feeling was, he went along with this for all these months uh, to flatten the curve and everything. Obviously, it's not working, and he feels now it's now an infringement of his religious expression, and there's just going to be fights, and it's going to probably get uglier before pretty. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Don't write me. I don't want to read about it. All right. This morning, Genesis, the 29th chapter from our Old Testament verse uh, 15, this is the story of Jacob. You have three major patriarchs in the Old Testament that are the fathers of the, of the nation of Israel, the Jews, all right, which the Bible's all about this. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, uh, God changes his name to Israel, and ever since then to this very day, they are called the nation of Israel. This is Jacob. This is who this guy is. Uh, they really key off of him for whatever reason. He has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we pick up the story. Jacob's talking to his uncle Laban. Laban said to him, because he wants to work for Laban, he said, hey, let me work for you. And Laban says, well, just because you're a relative of mine, you shouldn't work for nothing. Tell me, what are your wages? What should you, how much do you want to get paid? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Of course, Laban being their uncle, these would be his cousins. A little creepy by today's standards, but they did this. They often married first cousins throughout the majority of history, even to this day. In most states, I think, it's still legal to do so. Uh, not encouraging it, I'm just saying. It is what it is, kind of creepy. Uh, in fact, if, if you look at history, a lot of these kings and queens and stuff of all these different countries in Europe were all cousins. It was like they kept all the money in the family. As one of the things that uh, they did it because of maintaining family wealth. Anyway, so Leah and Rachel, these two girls. Now Leah had, this translation says, weak eyes, 
But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now that word weak apparently is debated among scholars. In fact, there's some translations that actually translated Leah had beautiful eyes. Say, so, well, what's the difference? I don't know. My guess is she probably, what they're saying is she wasn't very attractive. Um, either she wasn't that pretty and uh, Rachel was a lot more pretty or uh, Leah had great eyes, but Rachel had a great bod because uh, it says she had a lovely figure. So now how they even know this, weren't they just wearing robes and stuff? It's not like they were, don't get me started. Anyway, so it's, I'm just reading what it tells you. Now, Jacob was in love with Rachel. Now, one has the question, how in love can you possibly be with someone that you've never had a conversation with? But anyway, it's what it says. He is clearly taking with her. And he says this to Laban. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, well, it's better I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So it's a deal. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. <laughs> love makes people crazy is all I got to say. So anyway, after the seven years, Jacob comes to Laban and says, Hey, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. Now, this is five, 6,000 years ago. These are not the most sophisticated people on earth. And I would highly suggest that you not come to your future father-in-law and say, Give me the girl, I want to get laid. All right, that's not, that's not a good way to talk to people. But this is what he says literally to him. And uh, so Laban's, all right, here we go. So they brought together all the people of the, of the place and gave a feast, they had this big wedding party. And when evening came, <laughs> Jacob does a switcheroo. And he took his daughter Leah, remember he wanted Rachel, and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as an, her attendant. In other words, that was her wedding present. Here you can have the servant. So now she has the servant, which we'll talk more in, about in just a minute. Uh, so when morning co comes, there was Laban. <laughs> Jacob's like, whoa. Now, how is this possible? Well, this is why I say these people weren't dating. They spent no time with each other. Okay? There is no way on God's green earth after me dating the redhead and now the beautiful blonde, that if you stuck us in a dark room, I wouldn't be able to tell her from somebody else. How come he couldn't? I say, well, it's really dark. It ain't that dark. Because <laughs> <laughs> he never spent any time with them. Never heard her voice. I mean, it's just, I'm this is just the way life was. So it wasn't until the next day he goes, ah, that's not the one I wanted. So Jacob was a layman. What, what have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban says, well, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Yeah, that's something you could have shared, I don't know, seven years ago. So Laban says this, well, listen, finish this daughter's bridal week. Hang out with her for a week. And then I'll give you the younger one too. But then you got to work for another seven years. So the way the story is often told is that he worked for seven years to get uh, Rachel, and then he had to work another seven years before, I mean, for Leah, and had to work another seven years to get Leah. That is not what happened. He had to wait another week to get Rachel. He got her right away. Within two weeks, he's got two wives. Boom. Just like that. He's got both sisters, which, again, strange, but this is what it was. Uh, but then he had to work another seven years for her, so he was under <laughs> obligation for that. 
so uh, Jacob did this. He finished his week with Leah, his obligation. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Then, then begins what we call the baby wars. Now, remember, this 12 tribes of Israel. When you hear about the 12 tribes of Israel, these are the 12 sons that Jacob has over all these years with these two women. They also had daughters and stuff, but they just didn't really count much. It was the guys. It was a big deal, that culture, all right? So he has his 12 sons. That's where you get the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, as you go through this, it is Leah who has the majority of the children. She's popping them out left and right, all right? And it's so sad. It's a real sad story when you read it because she keeps thinking, well, maybe my husband will love me now because I keep giving him children. But she never felt loved by Jacob. Uh, and it's just very, very sad. Uh, and then Rachel, if you read the story, it's ac actually it's one of the funniest parts of the Bible uh, because they start having these baby battles. And Rachel comes to Jacob and says, how come you're getting her pregnant, but you're not getting me pregnant? And he goes, I can't control that. <laughs> what am I, God, you know? So, so Rachel says, well, then here, take my servant girl and have a baby with her, and that's how I'll have children. So you have to understand, when a servant in this situation had a child, it didn't belong to the servant girl. It belonged to her master, which was the mom, uh, in this case, Rachel. Uh, in these cultures, when you were a servant, you had rights to nothing. It's a great analogy when we read about servanthood in, as Christians. As servants of Christ, everything we are, have, and become is his. That's the way we be. And you don't hear that taught much in America today. You know what you hear taught today? Uh, servant leadership. Servant, only in America are we servants as long as we're in charge. You know, so I don't buy into this whole servant leadership nonsense. Either you're a servant or you're not. All right, so these people were servants. So she's, and then Leah starts handing out her servant to have babies too for her. So they're all having babies left and right. And at one point, uh, uh, <laughs> Jacob quit making love to Leah, uh, trying to help Rachel get her go show going. But then one day, Rachel wanted something from Leah. Leah sold it to her, and the price was, he has to sleep with me instead of you. So he goes to Jacob and says, hey, she bought this thing for me. Now you got to spend the night with me. Okay. You know, so I'm telling you, this is nuts. Out of all this, they, and finally, finally, Rachel, the favored one with whom he loved, had uh, two sons. The first son was Joseph. This was Joseph in the multicolored coat. It's how they wound up in Egypt in the first place. 400 years later, they're slaves. Moses comes says, let my people go, and they come back. This is the whole story of how all this happened. And, uh, and then her second child, she died in childbirth. So she only had two. And the bulk of them came from the other girls. Anyway, the point of all this is here is a man who works ultimately 14 years for what he wants. And the point of all this is this. Sometimes it just takes a while to get to where you want to go. It takes a while to get what you want to get. And this is life. Our biggest enemy is discouragement and impatience, and we are an impatient people. We're Americans. We don't want to wait. We don't like waiting. We get irritated if we have to wait. We want things quick. But as Christians and as, as a, a pastor, especially to you younger people, you need to understand something. It takes a while to build a life. It just does. Somebody say amen. 
It just does. It takes a while to build a career. It takes a while to build a business. Sometimes it can take seemingly forever. And then after all that time, it fails. Uh, it takes a while to become financially independent. And for a lot of people, they never get there. They work all their lives. So what it is, what it is, just keep working. Say, well, I want to retire. Why? So you can die young, you know? You know, this is a big problem. Usually when men retire, it's not too long before they get sick and they die. That's why so many men die before their wives. Not wired to sit around and do nothing. So, well, you can do whatever you want. It's a free country. But don't freak out if you can. A lot of people can't ever retire like that where they never have to work anymore. So what? Stay and find something you love to do and then do it. Amen. Amen. And quit freaking out. Some of you, I know you guys, you're panicking about your retirement. You got 15 to 30 years ago yet. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Some of you guys are in a fit worried about 20 years from now. As if you can control, you know, you get your, I got my plan, I got my plan. Your plan. You don't know what that plan's going to look like. Whoever figured we'd be in this stupid situation today. Amen. Bet you that wasn't part of your plan. You don't know what's going to happen. It's okay to have a plan and be intentional. I have no problem with that. But quit panicking and freaking. Don't live in fear all your life. There's another reason you're going to get sick and die early. And live at peace. Do your best. Trust God with the rest. It takes a while to figure this stuff out. It takes a while to build a meaningful marriage. You know, I talk to people all the time. I got a call from a guy the other day. Uh, the world's ending. His marriage is ending. It's all, how long have you been married? Six months. I go, oh my gosh. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. It takes a while to figure it out. Another guy just texts me. He's been married for a year and a half. The world's ending. Why? His wife is a slob. So what do you mean? She's like, oh, the house is always messy. When I was by myself, it was clean. Do the math. I said, don't have children. You're a <laughs> She'll go to a seventh level of hell you never dreamed of possible. It takes a while. Relax. I've quoted this study many times, and I'll keep quoting it because I think it's just absolutely fascinating. University of Chicago did a study. They went and took people who were married and miserable. I call them M&Ms. Married and miserable. And in their study, eventually, half of them got divorced because they wanted to be happy. They were tired of not being happy. They wanted to be happy. They got a divorce. The other half stuck it out. Then they went back five years later and interviewed the same group of people. The ones who got divorced in order to be ha happy were still miserable. The ones who stuck it out now reported being very happy. How do you go from miserable to very happy? It's called time. Suck it up, buttercup. It takes a while to figure stuff out. Don't get so discouraged all the time. You want to grow in your faith? Man, hang on. It takes a while. And, it and I promise you, the people in this room probably who are more discouraged than anybody in their faith are the older ones, not the younger ones. The younger ones are all still new. Some of you guys, you know, you've been at this for a while, like me, and you still have your issues. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> and at times, it's discouraging. Well, what do you do when you get to the end of your rope? Tie a knot. 
Hang on. It takes a while to get there. It takes time. Now I want to read from the New Testament gospel here, something I'd never really noticed before. But this is uh, in Matthew, the 13th chapter. And Jesus is giving one parable after another. And I want to take these first three parables. And actually, you could go on and all of these pretty much have the same theme that I'm going to point out, which I've never noticed before. Never heard anybody preach on it before. Not saying they haven't. I just never have heard it. Let's take a look at these fairly popular, well-known parables. Matthew 13, chapter 31, uh, chapter 13, verse 31. So he put before them another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the small of, smallest of all seeds. If you ever see it, the mustard seed is really tiny. But when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, I went online and I wanted to try to understand how big does this shrub slash tree become? One website says it can get as high as three feet. Another one says they're typically as high as eight feet. Another one says they're often 20 feet tall. Now, how you get three radically different answers from the same stupid question, I have absolutely no idea. <clears throat> but um, when you often hear this parable, uh, you hear about how little faith turns into something big and all that, and that's all I've ever heard it preached on. But something hit me as I was looking at it. You know what this parable is saying? It takes time. How long does it take for this seed to turn into a big yo mama tree with big branches sticking out that birds can make nests on? My guess is more than a week and a half. My guess is probably years. Everybody say years. It takes a while. Relax. In the very next parable, he says, he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, a, like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The common sermon here is that it takes just a little bit of sin to affect everything, which is very true. It's a very true point, and I get it, but I saw something here again that I'd never seen before, and that is it takes time. If you take some flour and put yeast in it, you got to wait. It takes hours for this thing to start rising, taking time. Then the very next parable, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Typical sermon here is how valuable the kingdom of heaven is worth giving up everything for the kingdom, which is true. But something that struck me when I read this one as well is it takes time. How long does this take? He finds a treasure in a field that's not his. Why he's trespassing, I don't know. But he finds the treasure. And then he hides it. Now, if you're ever on any of my property and you find a treasure, would you let me know? I'd like to know this. But he doesn't tell the guy. He hides it. Then he has to go and sell everything he has. How long does this take? He didn't have Facebook Marketplace. Okay, he didn't. What's those other things? Some of those websites. Craigslist. They didn't have anything like that. Somebody's trying to sell something now. Craigslist has been weeks. What are they going to sell? 
Who knows how long it took for him to sell everything he had? And then after he sold everything he had, he had to go and negotiate the price with the owner who maybe didn't want to sell. And they had to keep coming back to the guy, keep working and working and finding the guy, sold it, they got to agree to one price, then he's got to wait for the deed to say that he owns it, and then he goes and gets the treasure. This verse also says, it takes time. My goodness gracious, my brothers and sisters, some of y'all just need to relax. It takes a while. Say, Pastor, I'm frustrated in my faith. Okay, it takes a while. I'm frustrated in my marriage. Welcome to the club. It takes a while. All this stuff takes time. Your life, your finances, you want to do the best you can, trust God the best you can. But one thing that is clear as we read these spiritual truths, these things don't happen right away. We read about Jacob. Oh, we got these two girls. Yeah, 14 years. That's a long time. It is to me. Goodness gracious, I got a gorgeous wife. I don't know if I'd wait 14 years. <laughs> I'm not that patient, you know. Goodness gracious. But these people, oftentimes we read miracles in the Bible. Especially you read the book of Acts, and this miracle, and that miracle, and that miracle. And people walk around, how come we don't see more miracles? But what you're forgetting is there's huge chunks of time between these miracles. There's years that go on. We get the idea when we read the Bible that these people are just constantly seeing glorious, miraculous things every single day. And I'm telling you, they did not. Don't get discouraged. You have to put the time factor when you read these stories. It takes a while. It takes time. Jeremiah, verse 29, says this, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Future and hope go together. But the word hope today has been, I don't know if the word is corrupted, but it just, it's changed. Words change, right? Used to be when you said things were cool, it was cold. Now it's hip. Michael Jackson told us things are bad, which is really good. You know, words keep changing all the time. The word hope is, the word hope actually means to wait patiently for something that you know is coming. But we've turned it into wish. It's such and such going, well, oh, I hope so. You know, do you think the thing's going to happen? Oh, I hope so. And that's really what the word has become in English today, at least American English. I don't know about you guys around the world. But it, so when we hear hope, we don't understand. What it, it just means wait, pace. It's like when you order something from Amazon. I love ordering for Amazon. I do. I don't have to wear a mask. I enjoy it. All right? So I order from, and as soon as I hit send, I am now filled with hope. Why? I'm not wishing, is that thing from everyone? Oh, I hope so. I pushed a button and gave him my money. That's not what hope means. Hope means it's in the mail, baby. It's coming. Hallelujah. And I got Amazon Prime. It's going to show up in two days. Praise the Lord. It's hope. It's hope. You know it's coming. You're patient now because it's on its way. We're supposed to be filled with hope. When you lose hope, you're filled with dread. Oh, it's never going to happen. Oh, it's never going to happen. Oh, this is never going to work. Oh, it's never going to turn out. So don't you have hope? Oh, yeah, I hope it works. That's not hope. Hope is I know it's coming. It's on its way. 
Some years ago, I've shared this story many times. I only have so many stories, you know. Young guy, and uh, <laughs> we were living in Decatur, Illinois, the armpit of Illinois. Uh, yeah, right? There's a smell. Smell of money to them. You know, it's kind of like the paper mills around here, but there it's soybeans, and it's just nasty. Anyway, uh, so we were living there, and we were $100 short for something. This is back in the 1800s. That was a lot of money. All right. And, uh, and I'm freaking out. You know, so, you know, what a lot of kids do, which is fine. Even adult children. Who do you call? Mom. Mom, yeah. And she's, oh, don't worry. I'll send you a hundred bucks. And as soon as she said that, I was filled with hope. Now, what had changed? Not a thing. Had she even put it in the mail yet? She had not. But immediately I was filled with hope because I know it's coming. See, that's what the Bible talks about. God wants to give you a future that's filled with hope. But it takes a while. It takes some time. Romans 8, 24, for in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no longer hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You don't have to patiently wait for you to think what's coming if you already got it. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That sounds painful to people, but not if you're filled with hope, because you know it's on the way. Habakkuk, Old Testament prophet, chapter 2, verse 3. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, in other words, it's taken a while, just wait. It will surely come, it will not delay. You know what we need? We need a good dose of patience. You know? But not patience where you're hoping this kind of hope. Because that just gives despair and frustration. But a true hope where I can wait because I know it's coming. I know we're going to get there. It's called faith. And you're trusting God. And even though it doesn't happen right away, hang in there. Be filled with hope. We'll end with this scripture. Paul writing in to the Galatian church, chapter 5, verse 22. By contrast, what he's talking about here is he just described all the miserable attributes of living in sin can do to your life. He says, but by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. Kindness, generosity, and faithfulness. I'm going to invite our musicians to come back out here, as well as the musicians in Stevens Point, come up on the platform. We're getting ready to uh, go into our time of communion this morning. Um, I'll make there they are. All right. Um, in his epistle to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and release our Stevens Point campus, and Pastor Bob can take over uh, and minister to you guys through this whole section now. But in his epistle to the Corinthians, Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Whoever therefore eats and drinks, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for what? The body and the blood of the Lord. A lot of people argue, what is is it literally? Who cares? It doesn't matter. To us, it's the body and the blood of Christ. That is what we are celebrating. And this is what it becomes to us. And he says, before you do this, examine yourself. 
this is a time to kind of check ourselves because sometimes we just mess up and we don't quite get it. And I promise you, as I said earlier, some of the most discouraged people in this room probably right now are people who've been Christians for a long time. And you still struggle. And you still have challenges. And sometimes you still mess up. Well, what do you do? Well, just be patient. Uh, if you mess up, we come to God. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will do this. What happens when we come to Christ and ask for forgiveness? So I want us all to bow our heads and I'm going to pray a general prayer and just kind of examine your own heart. Where are you at? How you been this week? How you doing? You need to set things right? Let's set them right right now. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, thought, word, deed, maybe something we've done, something we said, something we didn't do that we should have done. If we haven't loved you with our whole hearts, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, maybe biting people's heads off on Facebook, whatever, all this frustration in the world today. Lord, we ask you, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us and forgive us all of our sins, strengthening us in goodness and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life that we can delight to do your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as our heads are still bowed, maybe uh, you're watching online right now, visiting here in the building, and you've never really had this experience of asking Christ into your life and experience this wonderful thing that we've been talking about. Why don't you ask him right now in your own words, ask him to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of all your sins. The beautiful thing is Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's what we're going to celebrate. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work it off. You receive it. You ask. Ask him now to come into your life. Amen.